Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. And welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast and second half of 2023. I missed you all. Five days is too long. Four days is too long. Here we are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Tori Venable. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Tori Venable, very cool last name, America's for Prosperity's mission of grassroots policy, government affairs, communications, political and education, and training capabilities make them the best organization to change the policy landscape in America, provide policy solutions based on proven principles, organize communities to bring people together, educate, train, and mobilize concerned citizens to take action, advocate for policy reforms, hold public officials accountable. Tori Venable is the Tennessee State Director for Americans for Prosperity. Right there on her LinkedIn profile, it says, I've got a passion for developing good public policy and making our state one of the best in the nation, unwilling to sacrifice ideals for dollars, so don't ask. Should also say, always smiling, at least I've always seen her as such. She is no stranger to Tennessee and grassroots activity. She helped launch the AFP Tennessee chapter in 2013 as communications director and worked to grow the organization. Quote, politicians may come and go, but our efforts to remove barriers that stifle freedom and liberty will always remain intact, unquote, and amen. Hello, Tori. How are you today? I'm wonderful, Steve. How are you? I hope you had a fabulous Independence Day. I sure did. Thank you. Were you in town for that? Uh, yes, we got lots of fireworks and blew plenty of things up in the front yard. It was great. Absolutely. I was told there are three times a year you have to be in Tennessee. Don't go anywhere else on vacation. And 4th of July is one of them. Memorial Day is the other. And Halloween is the third. Um, so uh, I'm glad you survived the heat at the Texas border. You got to come home to a lot more of it. Um, but thanks for coming on here to talk with us about it. Um, but before we do, um, tell us about you and AFP, which was founded in 2004, long before um, Tennessee's version, uh, from Miami, Florida to Anchorage, Alaska, and from Phoenix, Arizona to Columbus, Ohio, millions of our fellow Americans volunteer their time and passion to join with us to bring change, hope, and a better way forward. What activated you to stand up and get involved full-time? So I hadn't heard of AFP until I got a job offer from them. And it was uh, right after they launched the state chapter, they had hired uh, now Congressman Andy Ogles. He was the uh, original state director and he poached me from the legislative offices uh, to come and do communications and a little bit of state lobbying for the organization. And these were all principles and ideals that I believed in and to find an organization that so perfectly lined up with what I thought uh it was just a match and that's why I've been here for nearly a decade <laughs> yeah well if you like it you keep doing it and you're doing a good job um who are some of your partners and executives at AFP that inspire you to keep going so long keep working so, so hard we've, we've had lots of different folks that I've worked with through the years right and so we break it out into regions because we have a 50 state strategy but there are 37 actual state chapters that on the ground they have full-time employees um, so 
Uh, my former regional is the one who comes to mind. His name is Brad Stevens. He is now, I think, the state director for Senator Pete Ricketts. And then I've got Jeff Crank. He actually runs a podcast, uh, the American Potential Podcast for Americans for Prosperity. You should, We should have you on sometime and be on our podcast. I would love that. And I will have him on here too, now that I know. Um, your quote is, because every individual has extraordinary gifts, we believe that together we can transform how we tackle our nation's greatest challenges to help every person rise. How do you do it? Well, you got to believe in people. Um, you got to realize that people closest to the problems are the ones best suited to fix them and understand that a top-down, one-size-fits-all government approach is usually the worst answer. So we, what we do is we're a platform for people. We help concerned citizens elevate their voices, um, hold lawmakers accountable, come up to the Capitol with us, do a little bit of citizen lobbying, and show them what it's like to be an effective grassroots organization that gets things done. Yeah, and you have a track record. So you are the Tennessee head. Um, in Tennessee, you've been involved quite a while, as you said, uh, since you were five years old, apparently. <laughs> your, your former co-worker, uh, James Amundsen, has been on this show, episode 24. Wow. Long time, Steve. Um, and before he went to be freshman congressman Andy Ogle's chief communications guy, he was here. Um, yeah. Andy, Andy Ogle's worked with you, too. I don't know if he was your boss or you worked side by side. You can tell us. How do you think those two are doing in D.C.? Uh, I think they're doing great. Matter of fact, we uh, before I went to Texas to see the border for myself, we did our Capitol conference in D.C. the week before that. So we met with every member of our federal delegation. Um, I got to say, Ogles is clearly going to be my favorite, right? Because his chief of staff used to work on my team. Of course, James was uh, our deputy state director for a long time. And Andy and I pretty much ran the state chapter of AFP Tennessee for the first few years, just us. So, uh, yeah, I think he's doing a great job, and I think we need more principled leaders in D.C. that are willing to fight and, you know, put their name on the line to to do what's right for Tennesseans and for America. Yeah, he gives the impression that he's willing to, you know, spend the political capital, even if it's a one-term type of thing, just to try to get some things accomplished. He even filed uh, articles of impeachment. Uh, do you think he's made enough friends up there to get it through? You know, the Freedom Caucus is about 20 men and women, and the Progressive Caucus is about 100, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, whether I, I doubt it'll actually get all the way through. I think it got referred to the Homeland Security Committee, which at least it'll get a hearing. But, you know, I, like many Americans, see the things that the Biden crime family has been doing. And you've got to wonder, like, if we send people to Washington, D.C., and they don't do anything about it, how is there any accountability whatsoever when we're presented with this evidence and there's just no one does anything about it? I mean, you got to give them credit for at least trying to do something with it. Yeah, I've been wondering for quite a long time if it was going to take like a state legislator like a uh, A.G. Scarametti or somebody of that nature to actually file charges in their state to try to clean up some of the federal problems since they cannot police themselves including members of Congress that get elected in there because they're outnumbered. But that's not my job. We'll see. Um, you and James helped actually get bills through, literally uh, the last one with 15 minutes to spare, uh, that reformed Tennessee's Certificate of Need laws, yeah. which had long been blocked. So you did something that that was stifled and was able were able to get it through. And what that is is Tennesseans from accessing the quality health care options they need. How has that law uh, been going in practice for folks? Because I think it's only been about eight months old now. 
Yeah, so the implementation is always the struggle point, right? So you can write the best piece of public policy, but how it's implemented. So while there were drastic gains and it was a major reform, we still need to end certificate of need laws, period. I mean, we shouldn't have government monopolies on healthcare in our country. We do not have a single payer system. People don't want a single payer system. They want affordable, accessible coverage. They want they want to be able to go see a doctor when they need to see a doctor. And, you know, the con laws are just a barrier to that. So we are gearing up for next year to hopefully do a complete repeal and be done with it once and for all. Um, but there's a number of different state policies and that we work on. We work for lower taxes, less government, and that could be less government regulations, reducing government bureaucracy. It's a number of different items in that bucket. And and for more freedom. And boy, that catches a lot of things in the more freedom bucket. <laughs> and do you have the ability to, I know all 50 states are different, but you mm -hmm. said you, you do have a 50 state strategy. If something were to be successful here in Tennessee, but maybe not successful in Michigan or any of the other choices, do you have that 50 state strategy per policy? And so does that mean that you have professional healthcare policy lawyers on staff? How, how do you pick up the ball and run with it towards the end zone on each individual issue. So most of our state directors are a bit of unicorns, right? So we we have we all have a background in public policy. Um, uh, some have a background in communications. It's just, it, it's really all over the board, but you've got to be able to effectively advocate and spur on the grassroots because even if we achieve a win under the dome or on the hill, if people don't know about it and if people can't force make sure that the government actually implements it. All that was for naught. So we do have uh, full-time federal policy analysts that can help us out and get into the weeds of it. But as I said, you know, I came from the legislature before I came to AFP. So I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to crafting legislation and public policy. And uh, then I, you know, of course, depend on our stellar legal team to make sure that we get it right the first time. And you mentioned the word unicorn. Are you a Tennessee or Nashvilleian native, or are you? I am a native too? Nashvillean. And when yeah. I saw Mill Creek podcast, I thought it was the Mill Creek in Antioch, Tennessee. <laughs> it's the one in Nolansville, technically, because that's the one closest to where I'm sitting right now. Yeah, <laughs> which is it does go through there. It does go all the way to Cumberland. Yeah. But yeah, so that's good. That's good. Um, so the other thing that you did, which was amazing to me that didn't already exist coming from a state that's way worse than Tennessee, but has it, you got the amendment added to the legislative, uh, to track in real time, as well as red line edits to legislation. Um, I hope people realize how huge that is for transparency, which I was shocked, like I said, to see didn't exist prior to this year for a state that's, you know, 200 years old. So thanks to you. Well, don't say thanks just yet because again with the implementation because they promised us they would give that to us did you know that tennessee is one of like three states in the entire nation that do not produce common sense red line versions of bills and amendments for regular people to read and see what changes are happening in the law we're one of like three states i think maine's one tennessee and i forget what the other one and so they promised us when they were going to, you know, uh, allow us the public to access the legislative dashboard that that was going to be part of it. Um, but it, it hasn't happened yet. There's been a few times that they have put red lines up, but mostly um, it's just a big win being able to review a bill before it's actually voted on in committee because that was not the case beforehand. It is. And it'll also surprise me that unlike the Senate, the assembly version 
they don't have to record their votes. Most of it's voice. And it's really comes down to who heard who at what moment in time. And then they go up afterwards and say, um, could you actually change my vote? I don't want to have to explain myself when I go back home next week. Huge pet peeve of mine. It's something I've been working on. And this is something that it doesn't matter if someone's a Democrat or Republican, like right is right and wrong is wrong. And I would rather fail with honor and have my bill die like a solid death in committee and know how the votes went than to for it to move forward with fraud. And that's essentially what's happening. They're defrauding Tennesseans when they are not showing them how they're actually voting. It's wrong. And you can't hold people accountable when there's no record of how they vote. Yeah, especially since some of them have been outed as being sponsored by the far left uh, advocates money and running as Republicans and saying one thing and doing another. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a problem all over. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was at uh, John Rich's house, not to name drop, but just to mention it's all here in the library. And I was interviewing a whole bunch of people that were uh, their primary goal in life is border security. Uh, everybody from border agents to charities trying to help this border crisis, let's just call it, all the people that are winding up dead in the desert and the children that get swooped up and trafficked and the coyotes making billions and the cartels making all kinds of money as well. You just got back from the border. Um, tell us that it's all fixed and everything's great now, or what did you see um, at the border? Give us a live report. Well, it's a hot mess, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's still really bad. Okay. Um, it's just different sets of problems. So where to even begin? Because there's just, there's so much to it. Well, tell us how it affects Tennessee first and then tell us how the rest of the nation is going to suffer too. <laughs> okay. Well, every state is a border state because uh, they are not enforcing the laws if you pass through without, if, so there's checkpoints that they're supposed to go through, the official ports of entry. And the cartels are bringing people through anywhere else. They're actually depending upon border patrol to pick these folks up and process them. And they've been given, the Border Patrol agents have been given directive from Department of Homeland Security, I believe, that said, do not charge them with a crime. Even though it's a, against the law, it's a crime to go to cross the border outside of the checkpoint. They are choosing not to file charges against anyone unless they are actively trying to run away and not get caught. And the people that are gotaways or that they see on the cameras, but they don't catch up to. These are the people who don't want to get caught. They're the ones bringing fentanyl across the border. They're the ones trafficking other humans. Uh, th those are like the worst of the worst. So Border Patrol is basically in a situation where they're understaffed, they're underfunded, and they're trying to just catch the worst of the worst. But there is absolutely no incentive for someone trying to enter this country to even go through the proper process because there's no accountability. Zero. It's 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 stunning. And then, you know, you think of the George Bush uh, tall fences, wide gates piece. There's numerous different places where the border fence has been created. The border wall is there and you can see a drastic difference between different administrations. And there's literally, Steve, there's there's this one part of the fence where the Trump wall ends and there's a fence. Uh, I mean, a gate. And then. They're about 20 feet down. There is a, I don't know, 50 foot gap in between the Trump wall and the W. Bush wall. And it's like, why did you even like, what, what did you even put a gate there for? If you literally are going to leave this other part open, that's like just 20 feet down. It's the dumbest thing. It's your government at work. 
Um, it's like, the, it's like the Mount Rushmore of walls. You can kind of judge which president without the graffiti to say, oh, that's a Bush wall. That's a Carter wall. That's a Biden yes. wall, which doesn't yes. exist. Okay. Yeah. Unbelievable. Just absolutely ridiculous. And then even and what the about the, what about the environment? Is it just littered with, with empty plastic bottles and clothes and children's toys? And, and what, what does it look like down there? So we had heard that that was the case, and we had talked to uh, someone in the water district who even said that that was that was something pretty common. But what we saw, and it might have been the time of day that we were there, I didn't see not one person trying to cross hmm. illegally, not one. Uh, we saw a few different remnants of, uh, but it, of you know clothing or articles or some articles of clothing or trash. But it wasn't like I expected. I, I had this picture in my mind from the media reports when everyone was trying to get into America after the Remain in po uh, Mexico policy ended. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of migrants underneath this bridge. We actually went to that bridge. Here's the surprising thing. That bridge is actually in America. So <laughs> the wall is firmly in America. Sometimes it's close to the river, which is the actual border. And sometimes it's miles inland, but that, that bridge that we saw those thousands and thousands of people at, that was actually already, they were already in America. They just hadn't crossed the border wall yet. It was, and that place was completely empty when we saw it. I saw more people leaving in the airport with their papers uh, to relocate somewhere else than I did at the border. And you mean not back to their home somewhere inter internally like Nashville? Yeah. Well, yeah. they weren't on the flight to Nashville. They were flying out of Dallas-Fort Worth to wherever they were going. And they had these uh, packets of paper with like a neon piece of paper on it. So you could you could clearly see like who the immigrants were. Um, and they're just, everyone's claiming refugee status. We are doing a huge disservice to the folks that are coming across if they are actually refugees, because before, even under President Trump, if you pass through another country, you had to try and claim asylum in these other countries before you got to America, because you've got individuals going, tracking across five, six countries to get here, and they're paying, they're paying the cartels to get them over. The cartels, if someone tries to cross illegally with the people that they didn't pay, like the cartels are killing people also. I mean, it is a humanitarian crisis down there, and our government does not have the political will to do anything about it. It's and sad. You, yeah, it is. And you only saw a segment, right? Just some parts of Texas. You didn't see Arizona, New Mexico, California, the entire border. Just right. the, the yeah, just the, just the McAllen, Texas piece. We had the um, a former Border Patrol de uh, chief from Yuma, Arizona, with us. His name's Chief Clem. And he was telling us about the changes in policy and what they experienced as border patrol agents while we were down there. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking in one sense and infuriating in the other to know that our government is completely incompetent. Yeah, and that was the heartbreaking stories that I brought back when I had that event that I was mentioning. Um, Tom Holman, former uh, border security chief or czar, whatever they were called, he was heartbroken by the morale of these guys and women who patrol all day long in the 120, 130 degree heat, which you just experienced, um, but daily uh, just trying to do their job and not being allowed to and being asked to change diapers and do formula and not uh, protect the borders of the country that they, they love. And believe it or not, a lot of them are actually Hispanic and don't want to see this. And so 
yeah, it just sounds like a really bad deal. Okay. Well, um, so what are your priorities for the upcoming election this year and next? This year and next? Well, the, ele- the presidential election and whatever. So, we have yeah, we're time. engaging in a presidential primary for the first time. And I know that this is something that a lot of your listeners are not going to love, but I'm going to say it anyways. So we have we have a data driven organization and we talk to people across the country and we look at the numbers. Right. And it's came out from our our CEO, Emily Sadell, that it's they think it's time for America to turn the page. And the reason we're backing that up is we do not believe that President Trump can win in November if it's a head to head against Joe Biden. And so we are trying to talk to conservatives. We are trying to talk to anyone right of center to help them figure out, like, find out what issues they care about, number one, and who they are open to if it's not going to be President Trump. Because we have not endorsed yet. I do expect us to endorse um, probably in the next three months. And then we are going to heavily support whichever candidate aligns with us that can win in November. And it's not just the... It's not just the primary, because, I mean, if we're looking at the primary, of course, the president, the former president can win. Right. There's still 30 percent of the population that fully support him and like what he did. I liked what he did when he was president. But we also know that we cannot win in November if he is our nominee and we cannot allow the Democrats to run us over for another four years and see what they've done to our country in the last four. So that is a, a big a big bite off the apple for Team Tennessee because a lot of our base, they're Trump supporters, right? So they're not necessarily happy with us not endorsing or engaging on behalf of the former president. Um, but we are out there actively talking to folks. We're going to knock on 60,000 doors in the next three months to find out what Tennesseans think, what issues they care about, who who they're open to voting for and if they're if they're just only going to vote for Trump or if they're if they want to make sure we win in November. Yeah. Well, my listeners are supposed to be lovers of truth and if that is what the truth is, I hope they would be open to that and we don't have any sacred cows or we don't worship false idols here. So if Trump is the guy, okay, if he's not, we will look at the policies and decide ourselves I, I don't plan on endorsing from this show, yeah. but you know Tennessee won't even allow me to vote anyway because I haven't been here long enough, or at least not run for anything. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that you should talk to me about that. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, my state won't allow us to show our voting record because it, it's a secret, and they just don't have it. They say yes, you did vote, but not who you voted for. And not up until a year ago, you didn't even have to declare a, par- a party. So my former record just didn't make sense to Tennessee uh, last time around. But that's okay. We'll talk about that another time. But in terms of Donald Trump. If he's the guy, okay, fine. If he's not, we'll de- we'll deal with it at that time. So it's good that you're going to just figure out because I would much prefer beefing up Congress, taking back the Senate, and actually doing policies and legislation that can fix things. The president, oh my gosh, doesn't really even make a difference anymore when it's the Republicans control Congress now and they can't do a darn thing. So are there races or referendums that we need to be on the lookout for right now? Um, races right now. Um that I mean, you care about that, that are your you know on your purview with, that with you're my Tennessee at. focus no there's not there's not any actively going right now that I'm looking at what I what we so will Nashville be, mayor doesn't matter to you or I yeah guess I mean we're an early primary state so we're we're focused pretty heavy on figuring out what people care about right going into that presidential primary which is in March 
But the next thing after that is going to be our state Republican primary, and that'll be in August. And, you know, so it's a, about a year away, right? Um, there's a lot of room for people to make some big errors with the special session coming up uh, August 21st. And while America's that, yeah. prosperity does not engage on gun issues, we don't do social issues, we don't do gun issues. Um, a lot of other folks do, and they they will vote accordingly. And so I don't really know how it's going to play out, but I would expect some robust primary engagement in Tennessee in August of 24. Yeah. And what's sitting off, maybe you're not allowed to say, but what sitting office holders are a problem that need to be looked at and possibly replaced? I'm, uh, I'm not going to say. Okay. I, I, no, I have a list, but, you know. I, I had to ask. You don't have to answer. It's okay. It's not, you're not in a court of law. Um, but the governor's race is wide open. Uh, he's yes. not running for re-election, of course. He's term limited out. He, Although my former governor at Washington State decided to change the rules and have a, second, a third term. Do you have any idea who is going to run for, for Lee's replacement? So I've, I've heard... I've heard, don't hold me to this, but I've heard quite a few, right? I've heard that the Knox County Mayor Glenn Jacobs might right. consider it. We like him a lot. I've heard that Congressman Mark Green may consider it. We like him a lot. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's some other contenders, but those are the two names that have floated to the top the most. Right. And we like them both. So that would put us in a really tough position if they're both in, because we we would consider both of those individuals to be policy champions. Okay, well, good. It's better to have a, a abundance of choices than no choice at all like where I came from. Uh, what about uh, the special session that you mentioned? Uh, apparently it's four red flag laws, but we really don't know. Um, a lot of lawmakers, especially the ones from far away from Nashville, don't want it. For those that don't know, Tennessee is a very long state, two time zones. Some of these folks from the outskirts don't want to come to uh, Nashville in August in 100 and who knows what, hell's porch type weather, just to vote on no for something they don't want anyway. Um, there's been a letter actually written to that effect. Do you think it'll actually happen, A, that they'll actually go through with it and have this thing? And do you think anything's really going to come out of it? I don't think anything will come out of it. Well, I, I'm hopeful that the, nothing will come out of it because I don't think that, and I don't think the governor should move forward with it, frankly. And that's because of the waste of taxpayer dollars, because it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to call us in for a special session. And the one thing I know from working on public policy for a long time is anything that's a knee-jerk reaction, anything that's a, we have to do this, there ought to be a law, we've got to do this right now, that is how you get the worst public policy. And so you've got groups lining up on either side, and they're, they're, the line is drawn in the sand. No one is willing to cross over that line. There's not a whole lot, there's not really much reasonable ground to be had. And even if they were wanting to do something to fix mental health, or to address mental health or to increase mental health access, that's not necessarily something that merits calling lawmakers in for a special session. It's something that merits them really working out the policy throughout the off season. And then when they come back in January, being able to move forward with something that's actually going to protect Tennesseans due process rights and their constitutional protections and, and it could address mental health. And right now, I just do not see a path. And I think it's going to be very ugly if they do go forward with it. I think we'll see massive protests. Uh, you can prepare for Tennessee to be in the news nonstop if we end up with a special session in August, because I expect it will be very ugly. Yeah. Plus, they've 
set a target on their back by issuing an actual day and time. And so we know that the left is motivated to uh, show up, make a lot of noise, maybe do some damage. Um, that would be very expensive too. And it, it's it's political theater. And two of the assemblymen from the worst crime-ridden cities in the state um, are leading the charge over there. So you'd think that they would focus more on fixing their own houses before worrying about everybody else. But We'll have to see how this plays out. And I hope you're right. I hope Lee does decide, okay, forget it. But I don't think so. Um, uh, so your motto, I read it in the bio in the beginning, politicians may come and go, but our efforts to remove barriers that stifle freedom and liberty will always remain intact. That is a good motto. So let's talk about that. Um, you went from the border to AFP's annual capital conference, well, maybe the other way around, to the capital conference in DC. So you're a total jet setter. Um, you, went with, you met with almost all the Tennessee reps. Uh, Marsha Blackburn was your 2022 Pioneer for Prosperity Award winner and has been vocal about open border crisis. What did she say to you um, and is she helping you? Yeah, so we, we we had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of different things. Our our idea and what we were working on with Capitol Conference is there's a number of different federal policies um, that we were looking for co-sponsors on. So they brought a bunch of the state and deputy directors from across the nation up there to meet with the federal delegation to talk about our plan to reignite the American dream. And so that's something that we're working on at the state level as well. And the plan is that for the federal members of Congress to work on policies that will reignite the American dream and have state lawmakers that will do the same thing. That way we can do some combined events and help people understand across the state how these two different forms of government are working for them and what they can do to partner with us to make sure the American dream stays alive for future generations. And is uh, Haggerty as committed as, as you'd hoped? So I didn't have the opportunity to meet with Haggerty. My deputy director did Mike Lotby. So I assume so, right? I know all the meetings were very positive, um, but Marsha has just been, uh, you know, she's really one of those folks that I look up to back in as uh, probably before your time here, there, were, there was a huge income tax fight, right? Mm -hmm. and at the time, I'm going to age myself, I was around 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a the radio shows and everybody was telling people to come down to the Capitol and drive around the Capitol and blow your car horn. And so Marsha was, I think, at the state house at that time. She might have been a state senate. And so she was one of the people that was going on the radio shows all the time and ginning up the the grassroots to come out and do something about it. And I literally didn't know anything about politics, not a thing, not a thing. But I sure did drive down to the Nashville to drive around the Capitol and blow my car horn. <laughs> That's great. We've done so, shows on that with Steve Gill and, and the rest. And I remember yeah. Phil Valentine was involved in that. We did a tribute to him. So, yeah, that would have been a wonderful thing to see. Um, especially in a state that doesn't have a state income tax like Washington at the time, but to come to Tennessee and it still doesn't because of that effort. Otherwise, it would have been just like Nevada or California. So we will have one big effort in the next year. That's another constitutional amendment. And you heard it here first because I haven't told anybody else. So okay. um, in our Tennessee, there's nothing in our Tennessee constitution that bans a statewide property tax. And right now, property taxes are paid out at the local level, right? So that's how you pay for a lot of local government. But I have heard through the grapevine that some folks are wanting to basically institute this statewide property tax. So our goal is to do step one of a constitutional amendment that will constitutionally ban 
a statewide property tax. So we would have to pass it next year with in 24 with a simple majority, then in 25 with a two thirds majority, and then it would go on the ballot on the same year as the governor. And so we think that that is uh, uh, exactly what we need to do to make sure Tennessee remains one of the freest and most economically sound states in the nation. Um, you've got states like Texas that don't have an income tax either, but they have crazy property taxes. Yeah. And Tennessee doesn't want to become Texas if that's the case. Yeah, so. no, that's that's great. I, I asked Jack Johnson myself, I said, hey, how about a property tax cap? Because there are counties around here that are getting 40, 50 percent hikes and there's nothing to stop him from doing that. And then some. And he said he hadn't heard of that. So we'll have to touch base with him on that again one day. Um, that award, uh, Pioneers for Prosperity, is that every year? Who else has gotten that that's still in office? If so that was the first year that, that we did it. Pioneers of Prosperity. We did that at the federal level. We've done Champions of Prosperity at the state level. And so you can see um, we do a state scorecard also for state lawmakers. So at tnscorecard.com, you can see last year's scorecard. And we rank all the lawmakers. They're either taxpayer heroes, taxpayer, is it uh, taxpayer friends, taxpayer foes, taxpayer zeros, or taxpayer neutral. And so uh, people that make an A on our scorecard end up with a Champion of Prosperity Award if they're a consistent A vote. But uh, I can't tell you who else got the the Pioneers of Prosperity Award at the federal level. I know Marsha was the Senator Blackburn was the first one to receive it for Tennessee. Um, and I think that there were some other members of Congress and, and the Senate that received them as well. That's great. Okay. So you met with Harshberger, Burchett, Fleischman, Desjardins, I believe is how you say it, Ogles, Desjardins. of course, Desjardins, sorry, French, Ogles, Rose, Green, and Kustoff. You met all of them. Yeah. Um, do they give you hope that the border can actually be fixed soon and with a sense of urgency, or do they tell you we're just not Well, we weren't it. talking about the border. So the okay. border was after Capitol Conference. So we went to Capitol Conference first. So we were talking about healthcare and we were talking about, uh, gosh, banking and regulations. We were talking about a number of different things with those folks. So uh, we didn't really talk about the border. And I don't have a strong feeling that it's something that can be fixed because the one thing um, that could be done better, right? is it, ha it does actually have to come from the executive branch and how they implement their policies. We have policies in place right now that allows them to charge people for crossing the border illegally that would we could negotiate with these other countries that people are coming through and say they have to claim asylum with you first before they'd be eligible to claim asylum with us. Um, they could make sure that people who say they're going to sponsor these individuals are actually going to sponsor and take financial care of them because that's supposed to be a rule. But of course, there's no accountability or check or balance to right. that. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that could be done, but the political will is not there. And uh, I'm glad we were actually talking with our lawmakers about things that we could do that I feel like they, even in the minority in the Senate with a divided government that could be accomplished, uh, I I don't have high hopes for them actually fixing the border crisis until even when there's been a trifecta. If you look back, yeah, Democrats have had complete control and Republicans have had complete control. And for whatever reason, no one wants to solve the issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one thing that the Chamber of Commerce and Democrats can agree on is uh, the labor, I, I believe. But who knows? 
uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not an elected official. I'm just an opinion guy. Uh, so those representatives that I just listed, those are from Tennessee's one through eight. Mm-hmm. District nine is Steve Cohen, uh, the only Democrat in the state's congressional delegation. Um, any sense he'd ever work with you or even take your call? Uh, I like to focus where I can do the most good. <laughs> And my mama said not to say anything if I don't have nothing nice to say. So here we are. (laughs) All right. Well, he does represent Memphis or a big part of it, um, which is a total mess. Highest crime in the country. Of course, that being the state as well. Any work being done to help his district at AFP? You know, we are just now expanding into West Tennessee. So we recently hired Trey Cleek. Um, and he's based in Jackson. We do not have anybody that's full-time on the ground in Memphis. And it's the first time for our state chapter. We're a relatively small state chapter. We only have seven people on our staff full-time. We've got a couple of part-timer individuals out there, um, but that is not enough to do the kind of cultural change that needs to happen. So uh, I'm I'm not writing Memphis off, but it's gonna be a while before we can really make a difference out there, unfortunately. Mm. And it really does need help, actually. Um, The new chief of police out there, I'm not sure is the solution that's going to take something more than that, for sure. Um, In January, you and your group laid out your legislative AFP Tennessee priorities. And what you'd be advocating for includes increased government transparency by ensuring every vote is recorded and all amendments are available to the public before voted on. We talked about that. You got it done, but they're not implementing it, unfortunately, so we'll have to keep an eye on them. Increasing economic opportunity by repealing the professional privilege tax, loosening occupational licensing requirements, and reducing unnecessary government spending. The last one's going to be tough, but what about the first two? Professional privilege tax and loosening occupational licensing requirements. Any headway there? Uh, so Six months in. Yeah, the the privilege tax, we're going to still continue working with on that. Uh, we've got our partners at NFIB and a few other, I think the chamber's with us on that one. There's a few different organizations that continue to support it. Basically, you're paying the government for the privilege of working in your chosen profession. And the only reason that tax is on the books is because when Sunquist tried to pass the income tax and couldn't do it, um, that's when they initially put that in place to fill a budget gap. Our state has had budget surpluses in the millions for years, and they have yet to eliminate this tax that's frankly unconstitutional. So either someone's going to challenge it in court or they're going to phase it out and repeal it like we did with the hall income tax. I got my bill in the mail before it actually even arrived in town. So I'm well aware of the privilege tax. It was a privilege. Um, Expanding open enrollment statewide so all families have educational freedom. I remember that was being on the docket and debated during the January through April session. Um, It's not part of the special election or sorry, the, the special session. So we have to wait another year for something to be moved on that? Yeah, but um, on the bright side, since the courts finally ruled on the ESA bill, the families in Davidson and Shelby County, were have they have the lowest performing schools in uh, Chattanooga also, I, get, I believe, got added to it. Um, so they have access to educational savings accounts. With open enrollment, it's a little bit different. Open enrollment is essentially public school choice. So if you think about when you sign up to go to college and you get to choose from all the different universities and you can see what they offer and choose where you want to go, we would like for us, to, our state, to get to the point where 
it, it would be that way with public schools as well. You could see if someone had STEM classes or you could see if they had a auto mechanics class or you name it, whatever the, the path is that your child is wanting to take or they have an excellent theater program, you name it. And then the parents will be able to choose from where there's open seats available. The only thing school zoning as we know it would become would be transportation zones. So if you didn't want to do anything, if you were just like, if you're checked out and you, there's no way you can transport your kids, your transport transportation zone, that's where the buses would run to pick up students. That would be the school you would go to. But otherwise, then you are freeing up all these open seats and allowing our schools to operate more efficiently with kids that want to be there and that want to pursue either honors or, you know, you name it, whatever that thing is that's going to best suit their educational needs. Okay. I got about five more minutes with you. I got to want to squeeze a few in here if okay. I can. I watched the coverage of uh, Moms for Liberty this weekend in Philly, the same time you were at yours. And I saw the mob outside, you know, chanting awful things. And they are labeled a hate group now by Southern Poverty Law Center, who themselves, I think, are a hate group. Um, how do you deal with the vitriol on the left and, and still keep going with a smile? Well, you know... I really haven't been that much of a target of the hate from the left. And that's because they actually agree with us on some things. Wow. Um, and I don't do the the things that really get their goat. So we don't do guns and we don't do social issues. And those two things are what people have people ready to fight in the street. Um, what we do, however, is we oppose corporate welfare. That's government picking winners and losers. And it's conservatives and liberals that agree with us that that's not the role of government for sweetheart deals or to favor one business over another. Um, so corporate welfare is one area, free speech, like actual free speech, not just the, you can post whatever you want on Facebook free speech, but that you have the right to redress your government, that you have the right to speak out against the government, that you uh, should not be silenced, and that the best way to dispatch of a bad idea is counter it with a good idea. And so um, free speech has been something that we've worked across party lines on feel like there's oh civil asset forfeiture my pet project it's uh roadside piracy and uh my goal is to make it not happen in tennessee at all if you want to take someone's stuff they need to be convicted of a crime yeah a lot of farmers would agree with you on that here too um on your website i see career opportunities looking for 29 currently grassroots and community organizing uh, Barack Obama is the most famous community organizer. Is 29 a lot of openings because conservative causes don't do that and community organizing as well as, say, the left? So no one really does what AFP does. Like, we are the only group that's out there. We are knocking doors year round. We are making phone calls. We're talking to real people to find out what they really think. And then we're advocate. We're showing them how to advocate for policies. So that is a large part of what our grassroots engagement directors do is they organize communities to take action on the issues that are affecting their lives. And we're essentially a platform for individuals. So 29 is, uh, that's probably like nationwide. Right now, we are still hiring part-timers. So if someone sees this podcast and they're in Tennessee and they've never met a stranger and want to go knock on doors for us, we're paying $20 an hour info tn at afphq.org email us and we will find you a place and awesome. we are hiring yeah 150 people across the we'll state put, we'll put that in the show notes too so people don't have to memorize it or pull over real quick and write it down <laughs> um two positions for government affairs and relations how do people get in touch and what kind of resumes are you looking for for those positions 
So uh, again, I think you're referencing national site. I'm not yeah. sure exactly which policies they are, uh, which policy analyst positions they're hiring for, or which government affairs. I would assume they're looking for people that have Hill experience, uh, experience lobbying members of Congress, um, or you know, again, never met a stranger, right? So uh, if once people are involved with Americans for Prosperity, there's a lot of different avenues that they can pursue pursue within the stand together community and that's like the philanthropic arm of what we do while afp exists to reform government they do a lot of the work on the backside with different nonprofits to you know make sure that the implementation of the policies that we pass are actually helping improve people's lives gotcha and then i guess it would be national as well five public policy research positions what do those jobs entail real quick and then we'll i would assume those are policy analyst roles um, so those would be people that state directors would say if if I was engaging on an energy policy that I wasn't really confident or comfortable in, I would call them up and say, hey, what is what does good look like for this? And help me go through this bill and like give me the red line version of this bill so I can make sure that what we're doing is not going to have these unintended consequences that lawmaking often has. Okay. And last one, how can people, you know, voters obviously stay in the loop on the latest at AFP, not just about Tennessee, but countrywide on social or follow you? Yeah. So our social medias, uh, we always post our events. We've got multiple events coming up every month. We have a day of action nationwide on the last Saturday of every month. That's a great time to come out. If you've never met with your local AFP folks, I guarantee you there, no matter where you're at in the country, there will be days of action. And so what the 29th of July will be our next day of action. We've got Pints and Politics. We've got a children's reading hour in our Knoxville office. So we have an office in Knoxville and Nashville. Um, you can reach us at infotn at afphq.org. Follow us on Facebook, Americans for Prosperity, AFPTN. Uh, that's also our Twitter and Instagram handle. And if you really want to see all the fun stuff we're doing, Instagram's the place for it. Uh, Twitter is where I get snarky with lawmakers. And Facebook often has all of our events. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, Tori, thank you for your time. I'm glad you got home safely. We do appreciate you. I don't think Tennessee would look anything like it does today, which brought in 80,000 new residents the last year uh, looking for a kind of utopia that you're describing that you keep knocking on doors to, to create. Um, but we are at the end here. So if you have a social media you want to shout out, go for it. Um, and oh, I hope sure. to have you on hey, again you sometime. can follow me on uh, on Twitter. I'm at Tori Venn, and uh, you'll see a lot of content on there, T-O-R-I-V-E-N. And um, yeah, we we love what we do. If you if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? So Steve, thank you so much for having me on and uh, look forward to fighting for freedom alongside you. With a smile. All right. Thanks again for coming on. Hope to have you on again sometime. Thank you. Choosing the right mortgage for your home financing depends on so many factors. Working with a mortgage lender that offers a broad selection of mortgage programs is key. At OneTrust Home Loans, they have helped many homeowners reach their home financing goals because they listen to anticipate your home financing goals and dreams. They aren't salesy, so for those 55 and older, you can trust them to help people not just survive, but thrive with extra cash flow. At OneTrust, service is everything. 
To speak with a mortgage specialist about your home financing goals, call Matt Helton, Nolensville Branch Manager at 615-400-6764. Be sure to tell him Steve and Steve from MCView sent you. Calcon Mutual Mortgage, LLC, DBA, One Trust Home Loans is an equal housing lender, NMLS 46375. All products are not available in all states. All options are not available on all programs. All programs are subject to borrow and property qualifications. Rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. For more information on reverse mortgages, visit onetrusthomeloans.com slash reverse dash mortgage disclosures. I don't understand. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show, where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, how was your 4th of July, and what did you think of our guest, Tori Venable, with AFP? Well, it was very relaxing, and I didn't go anywhere. I didn't have to. I didn't get much sleep last night, because people were dropping the bombs in my area for until about 2 in the morning. I know, because I, <laughs> I, I went to sleep, woke up, and then I laid there, and then had to go in and out for the cat try to keep him in the house and finally got him back in the house and then he went back out anyway but yesterday was a very beautiful day got a few things done and then just relaxed and uh, planning for our fall trip my wife and I are uh, doing a lot of research and as far as Tori uh, what a spitfire and what a a heart for helping people understand their role in 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 this whole this whole world that we call government you know, it's called we the people right? for a reason. And when we step out and we allow the professionals to step in, professionals are professionals for a reason. They get paid, and, and they don't care where they get the money from. You and I are supposed to be volunteering our time, go in for a short time, and then walk away from it. And all too many of the uh, politicians are professionals, and uh, they end up getting a lot of, uh, well, extra houses, vacations, you name it, on the taxpayer dollar and. Uh, entities that we won't name here, but a uh, lot of interesting things she's involved with, and I think it would be worth coming on what a year from now when things are really ratcheting up. So, yeah, yep, yeah. nope, she's someone to watch for sure. Uh, and the only thing I want to say about Fourth of July is people confuse that with New Year's Eve. You don't have to go till past midnight. Uh, yes. it, that's the other holiday, but you know, sort of like St. Patrick's Day and. Halloween. You just drink when you want to. Exactly. Um, I had last night. Why? It's not New Year's. Shut it right. off. <laughs> All right. Move it on. They love their country, I guess. Um, do you know who Kurt Vonnegut was? Uh, he was a, I know his Slaughterhouse-Five movie or it was made um, around mm -hmm. his book, Slaughterhouse-Five. And so he was an author. Yep. That's the only one I read. Uh, 1965, many uh, satirical and darkly humorous novels over 50 years. Uh, in a 2006 Rolling Stone interview, Vonnegut said that he would sue the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company, the makers of Pall Mall cigarettes. He had been smoking since he was around 12 years old for false advertising, uh, quote, and do you know why? Because I'm 83 years old. The lying bastards on the package, Brown and Williamson promised to kill me. So dark humor there for sure. Yeah. Um, most people, at least me, learned about him from this clip with Rodney Dangerfield in 1986's Back to School. Kids in the car, earmuffs. It was rated R. Clip 1A, please. 
Hi, I'm Kurt Vonnegut. I'm looking for Thornton Mellon. Uh, what do you think? Someone else wrote this? Look, all I know is that you didn't, and that's what disappoints me. Tell you something else, whoever did write it doesn't know the first thing about Kurt Vonnegut. And another thing, Vonnegut, I'm gonna stop payment on a check. What's that? Fuck me. Hey, Kurt, you read lips. Fuck you! Next time I'll call Robert Ludlow. <laughs> we don't have to tell you who Robert Ludlow is, but uh, Kurt Vonnegut's theory of story shapes theory in the most delightful rejected master's thesis ever. All the great tales of the world can be graphed, he says, revealing the inner life of a society. Watch, enjoy, and consider what shape the stories of 2023 might take. Well, there's no reason why the simple shapes of stories can't be fed into computers. They are beautiful shapes. <clears throat> this is the GI axis, good fortune, ill fortune. Sickness and poverty down here, wealth and, and boisterous good health up there. Here's the very middle. Now, this is the BE axis. B stands for beginning. E stands for electricity. <laughs> now, this is an exercise in relativity, really, is the shape of the curves are what matters and not their origins. So we'll start a little above average, is why, why get a depressing person? We'll start, <coughs> the whole thing, we call this story man in hole, but it needn't be about a man, and it needn't be about somebody getting into a hole. But it's just a good way to remember it. Somebody gets into trouble, gets out of it again. People love that story. They never get sick of it. All right, not copyrighted. Another story, also a beautiful curve and easily fed into a computer called Boy Gets Girl, but it needn't be that. Just a way to remember it. Start on an average day, average person not expecting anything to happen a day like any other. Find something wonderful, just loves it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Every Jimmy Stewart movie from the 40s. Got it back again. <laughs> People like that. Now, these are beautiful curves, and this gets a little complicated. As computers can now play chess, so I don't know why they can't digest this very difficult curve I'm going to draw for you now. And it so happens that this is the most popular story in our civilization, Western civilization. As we love to hear this story every time it's retold, Somebody makes another million dollars. You're welcome to do it. Now, surprisingly enough, I've said it's depressing. You know, people don't like stories below, about below average days and people. But we're going to start way down here. Worse than that, who is so low? It's a little girl. What's happened? Her mother has died. Her father has remarried a vile-tempered, ugly woman with with two nasty daughters, big daughters. Cinderella. <laughs> You've heard it. <laughs> anyway, there's a party at the palace that night. She can't go. She has to help everybody else get ready. She has to stay home. Now, does she sink lower? No. She's a staunch little girl, and she has had the maximum quack from fate, which is the loss of her mother. She, she can't go any lower than that. Okay, so the fairy godmother comes. Gives her shoes, gives her stocking, gives her <laughs> mascara. Gives her means of transportation. 
goes to the party, dances with the prince, has a swell time. Boring, 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 boring. Now, there's a slight inclination to that line as I've drawn it because it takes perhaps 20 seconds, 30 seconds for a grandfather clock to strike 12. Does she wind up at the same level? Of course not. She will remember that dance for the rest of her life. Now, she poops along on this level till the prince comes to shoe fits. She achieves off scale happiness. Every story. Yeah. <laughs> is that the end yes okay so it was rejected by the university of chicago's department of anthropology because it was too simple and fun end quote vonnegut said he later called this idea his prettiest contribution to the culture i just thought that'd be fun all right next story french culture was burning last week i don't know if you noticed this two police unions have denounced macron the question now for Macron is whether he can marshal enough endurance to face the political situation at home. Quote, the problem is that he still has four more years ahead, said Luc Ruban, a senior researcher at the National Center for Scientific Research. Well, that's not good. Here's a take from a Muslim spiritual leader. Clip number three. The other extremist groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, who are friends with the IRGC and Hezbollahi people, they cannot operate in Bahrain, in Oman. These are Muslim countries. Where do they operate? In London, in France, in Washington, D.C., in Australia, in Canada, Toronto. They operate here. They have bank accounts. They register charity. Right. So Macron, the president of France, recently said the Islamic world is in a crisis. I say, no, you are in a crisis. You went to the Muslim countries and you imported the garbage that the Muslim countries wanted to put in prison or isolate away from society. You went and you imported them. Why? For cheap labor. But these Islamist extremists, they don't want to work. They want free welfare. They want to marry French women, blonde hair, blue eyes. They don't have time to work. So look at Poland. They don't complain from uh, Islamic extremism, not a single terrorist attack in Poland. The moment they sense there's a problem, they crack down on it. Polish policy, beautiful. The French, no, come. When they come, they use the resources. They go to uh, Washington, D.C., and they sit in Congress. They support the Iranian regime. They go against the sanctions in Congress, right, with their hijab. Why? Because the ideology is filth to begin with. When you import that, or you allow it in, or you amplify it, or you glorify it in any way, you make your bed, sleep in it. So that is also a problem of the West. The question is, Tina, did the extremists become stronger or the West become weaker? I say it's both. He nails it right on the head, Steve. Right yeah. on the head. Imam Tahidi on France, the West, and Islamic extremism. Let's not forget Little Belgium is burning too. Clip number three. I can't get this one up, Steve. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, it's very short. Nope. nope. Okay. 
Well, just because it's not televised doesn't mean it's not happening. The revolution won't be televised. That's the old days when Walter Cronkite dominated the airwaves. And if he didn't report it, it didn't happen. That's why Macron turned off internet in France. Did you know that? Last time I remember that was in Iran when we didn't support the overthrow there. Europe's turn, unfortunately. Uh, what will our future be if we don't pay attention? They kicked us out of Afghanistan, uh, not for wanting to go along with our woke agenda. Will Ukraine kick us out next? This one's uh, two minutes, so rather long for a podcast, but worth every second. So try to pay attention and not zone out. Only honest assessment on the war over there I could find. Number four. This is Max Blumenthal with the Gray Zone News. Hold on. on the mark go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Max Blumenthal with the Gray Zone News before the UN. Uh, Gray Zone's tagline, independent news and investigative journalism on politics and empire. Max calls out proxy war profiteers at the UN Security Council. Clip number four. Senator Lindsey Graham has offered a much more grim and more on the mark rationale for supplying Ukraine with billions in weapons. As the senator boasted during a recent visit with Zelensky in Kiev, the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. I repeat, the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. And Graham has also said that Americans are ready to fight this war down to the last Ukrainian. While official casualty numbers are strictly classified, we must worry that Ukraine is well on its way to fulfilling the senator's ghoulish fantasies. As a Ukrainian soldier complained this month to Vice News, we don't know what Zelensky's plans are, but, quote, it looks like the extermination of its own population, like of the combat-ready and working-age population. That's it. Indeed, military cemeteries in Ukraine are expanding almost as rapidly as the Northern Virginia McMansions and beachfront estates of executives from Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and assorted Beltway contractors benefiting from the second highest level of military spending since World War II. These are the real winners of the Ukraine proxy war, not average Ukrainians or Americans or Russians, the winners or Europeans for that matter. The winners are people like Secretary of State Tony Blinken, who spent his time between the Obama and Biden administrations launching a consulting firm called Westec Exec Advisors, which secured lucrative government contracts for intelligence firms in the arms industry. Blinken's former partners at WestExec include Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines, CIA Deputy Director David Cohen, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, and almost a dozen current and former members of Biden's national security team. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, for his part, is a former and possibly future member of board member of Raytheon and an ex-partner of Pine Island Capital Investment, which collaborates with WestExec and which Blinken himself has advised. Meanwhile, the current U.S. ambassador to this body, the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is listed as a senior counsel at the Albright-Stonebridge Group, a self-described commercial diplomacy firm that also finesses government contracts for the intelligence and arms sector, and which was founded by Madeleine Albright, infamously known for her comments that the deaths by sanctions of half a million Iraqi children were worth it. So while military-aged Ukrainian men are ripped off the streets by military police and sent to the front lines, the financially and politically connected architects of this proxy war are planning to walk through the revolving door to reap unimaginable profits once their time in the Biden administration is over. For them, a negotiated settlement to this territorial dispute means an end to the cash cow of close to $150 billion in U.S. aid to Ukraine. Senator, I think uh, Eisenhower warned us about that. Did he not? He sure did. But that was pretty cool, right? I mean, that's the reason Lindsey Graham was booed in his home state last week. We won't hear that clip on CNN or Fox. So no. stick with us, folks. 
Uh, a comprehensive new poll from the Media Research Center finds voters who rely on CNN and MSNBC are significantly less informed about a host of important issues, from the lack of security on the border and the impact of Joe Biden's economic policies to the financial scandal swirling around the president and his family, including suggestions his administration interceded to get his son preferential treatment during the tax fraud investigation of Hunter Biden. On every issue we examine, a majority of those who reported mainly watching Fox News or Newsmax said they recalled hearing about the various news stories we polled, while never more than 50% of those who watched CNN and MSNBC had the same information. Depending on the issue, the gap between the two groups averaged 23.5%, a huge deficit in the factual information of viewers of liberal cable news. MRC President L. Brent Bozell III reacted, this poll is just one more evidence of the leftist media's corrupt election interference. It's no surprise that voters who rely on these leftist cable networks for their news are vastly less aware of Joe Biden's multiple scandals and policy disasters. CNN and MSNBC know exactly what they're doing, which is to bury the truth of Biden's failures in order to save Joe Biden from himself. This awareness was much higher, 66% among those who said they usually watch Fox News, Fox News and Newsmax versus just under 50%, 49.8% to be precise, of those who rely mostly on CNN and MSNBC. And among those who said they don't watch cable news at all, only 42.5% knew about Durham's final report. On a, on a lighter note, clip number five. We still have comedy, though. We still have great comedy out there. There's always rambling Joe Biden. What the fuck? <laughs> Joe says shit that even people with Tourette's go, no. <laughs> no. What is going on? Joe is like your uncle who's got a new drug and hasn't got the dosage right. <laughs> I'm proud to work with Barack America. He's not a superhero, you idiot. Come here. When FDR was on television, there was no TV back then. Come here, Joe. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> that was robin williams a long time ago joe's been office a long time and he's been a known commodity for a long time when's the last time you heard a comedian say something funny about anything oh so. not in a very long time except some of the people i listen to that are banned from all the normal channels even the normal channels yeah exactly um it has definitely been a while uh here's one clip number six your first trip abroad since taking office how's it going so far Going great. Met the guy that uh, runs England, Boris Karloff, Boris Johnson. Excuse me. Then I met the high school kid who runs France, Macaroni. Had tea with the queen. I'm the president guy. Come on. Yeah, I, I know you are, sir. I'm happy that you are. Are, yeah. are, you, are you enjoying yourself in Belgium? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? Look at these, look at these crazy pancakes they got over here. Look at that. The bumps everywhere. That's bonkers, man. Look at that. Yeah, that, come on. Those are, those are great, Mr. President. But I'm asking is, has it been hard yeah. to reestablish diplomatic ties with our allies after the last president burned so many bridges? Look, look, okay. Let's be real. Let me be clear. The last guy, Trump, was bananas, okay? <laughs> But look at me. Look at me, Europe. I'm nice and easy. Listen to my voice. You know, I'm whisper calm. You know, I'm not, not going to make any sudden moves. Look at my hands. Moving slow. Look at that. No herky-jerky, just slow and easy. Uh-oh. Where'd they go? What's going on? <laughs> scary. Not scared. Scary. Not scared. Come on. 
There's nothing to worry about. That is, that is comforting, sir. But, yeah. Mr. President, thanks, are you at thanks, all... Thanks, Thanks, Burf. Are you at all concerned about meeting with Putin on Wednesday, given that you very publicly called him a killer? Come on, now. Come on, now. I once called a nice lady a dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> you know, no one knows what the hell I'm talking about, especially me. Maybe I'm joking. No joke. Come on, now. I'm the president guy. It's, it's good to know. Now, let's... We need more Dana Carvey. He's he's still amazing after all these years. Uh, and he's but, got the mannerisms. I mean, <laughs> oh, he's a great mimic, great mimic. That's we need more of that. We need more of that. They don't let you uh, make fun I of. I think the big they guy got anymore. four or five in there working for Biden right now that are doing their part. Yeah, professionals. Yeah, yeah. gestures almost. Um, okay, big finale. Like the Fourth of July fireworks, I attended Tuesday night. What a weird thing! A holiday on a Tuesday night pretty much ruins the whole work week. But happy birthday, America! I love you. And um, BU loves their students too much. Uh, they want them to be shiny, happy people. Boston University law students offered therapy in response to recent Supreme Court decisions. Law students were sent mental health resources to help navigate these times. Boston University School of Law students were offered therapy after three controversial Supreme Court decisions this week about affirmative action, religious freedom, and student debt forgiveness. The BU Law Student Government Association's statement sent out to law students Friday afternoon denounced the three Supreme Court decisions of the week, Students for Fair Administration versus Harvard, 303 Creative LLC versus Ellenis, and Biden versus Nebraska. Two of the resources were BU Behavioral Medicine and BU Student Wellbeing. According to its website, BU Behavioral Medicine offers therapy on-call service for mental health emergencies and mental health diagnoses, among other services. Proving yet again, liberalism is a mental disorder. Oh, and Florida, a win. Major pole dancing convention cancels Florida even due to Ron DeSantis' event. Due to Ron DeSantis' anti-LGBTQ laws, the International Pole Convention, didn't know there was one, known as PoleCon for short, has decided to relocate the annual event because attendees will include people of various genders and ages, including, wait for it, youth performers and children. Good job, Florida. According to their LinkedIn, the International Pole Convention, founded in 2009, is the original annual event celebrating the pole dance and pole fitness community with hundreds of attendees, all-star performances, and featured product and service exhibitors brought to a new city every year. Wonder where it will end up. Oh, look, right outside D.C. at Maryland Live Hotel and <laughs> Casino. Nice for the kiddos. Right on their website, under 18 years old at time of PoleCon, question mark, 5 to 17, purchase junior pass, children under 5 years old, free. Come back tomorrow. I have a clip of a Berkeley law dean bragging about anti-white, anti-Asian policies. Steve, guess what ethnicity he is? I have no idea. After the pole dance, my mind is still kind of like, I can't believe it. At least it's only hundreds that attend and not thousands. Find out tomorrow, God willing, in the creek don't rise. And Dr. Tenpenny, not the Mill Creek, that is, the creek. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. 
Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hey, y'all. Stephanie Nash here. I am a fourth-generation dairy farmer and agriculture advocate. You are listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Welcome to my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View podcast so you don't miss any of this content. Just go to Rumble or Spotify and hit the subscribe button and follow us. While you're there, leave a comment. And thanks for doing it. We can't just hope for a brighter day. We have to work for a brighter day. Love too often gets buried in the world of hurt and fear, and we have to work to dig it out so we can share it with our family, our friends, and our neighbors. Dolly Parton, there are bumper stickers around here with Dolly for president. If she talks like that, not a bad idea. The problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. Margaret Thatcher, there's no such thing as entitlement unless someone has first met an obligation. Also Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher also said, watch your thoughts for they become words. Watch your words for they become actions. Watch your actions for they become habits. Watch your habits for they become your character and watch your character for if, if for it becomes your destiny, what we think we become. My father always said that and I think I am fine. Margaret Thatcher. And of course, no quotes on activism and character can be complete without... I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. His son, Martin Luther King III, is 65, and Dexter is 61, and daughters Yolanda and Bernice, 60. Not so little anymore. Better hurry up. Vote Republican. That's it for this episode. Really hope you liked it. Thank you, Tory Venable, for standing tall against those that want to shred the Constitution in D.C. and here in Tennessee. Hold the line. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of mcview.us. Peace, really, in our time.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.